long ago, in a faraway land of ice and snow, the legend was born and the magic became real. I'm an elf! An elf! Yes! For everyone who believes in him and for everyone who wants to, Alexander Salkheim presents Dudley Moore, John Lithgow, in the movie with the whole legend, the whole adventure, and the magical wonder of Santa Claus, the movie, Seeing is Believing, an Alexander and Ilya Salkheim production, rated PG, starts Wednesday. Welcome to So What's the Problem, <laughs> which we watch movies from our youth to determine if they're problematic by today's standards. I'm Jimmy, and Jen's laughing. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing Santa Claus the Movie, which was released in the US on November 27th, 1985, and in the UK on November 29th, 1985. It was written by David Newman and directed by Janos Yes, sir. It stars David Huddleston, Dudley Moore, John Lithgow, Judy Cornwell, and Burgess Meredith. What's going to happen is this. Jen and I thought a few problems this movie has for each, and one positive, and we'll have a little discussion. Uh, fuck, I didn't write a synopsis. The synopsis is it's the origin story of Santa Claus, but then we fucking pivot halfway through into someone else's story, and Santa Claus sits and mopes for fucking 45 minutes. What's your history with this movie, Jen? Wow. Okay. Well, that was interesting. Um, I don't know. Okay. When I saw Santa Claus and that it was Dudley Moore, that seemed vaguely familiar, but watching it, it wasn't familiar. So I may have seen it when I was a little right. kid, but I don't know. Right. I don't I don't remember when I first watched it. I think it may have been in VHS when it came out. Mm-hmm. I never went to the cinema to see it because I never went to the cinema in those days. Um, but I... Definitely watched it on TV because this movie is on TV all the time in this country at Christmas, obviously. Okay. Yeah, it's a movie I watched a lot as a child, um, but I can't remember exactly when the first time was. Um, and uh, yeah, it's rubbish. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have I have a, a weird thing with this movie because I used to love it, right? And I used to mm-hmm. uh, like. You know, remember we've talked about these things before, but like the the books on tape, the, you get the books on the tape, and the, you read the story along the tape. I had that for this movie, and there was like a novelization. I didn't have that, but I was going to buy it for <laughs> read it for this, but I didn't. Um, and there was even a Marvel comic book adaptation of this. It's weird. Yeah, my first problem is elf puns. You don't like elf puns. Usually I like puns, right? I'm a sucker for a good pun. There is no good pun in this movie. Because all... And it's all said by Patch. And all he does is take the S off of the word self. And everything he says. That's it. I like it. It reminds me of Bring It On when she is talking about, you know, like how she's being a cheer-tater instead of a dictator and... Stuff like that. I, yeah, but that that's cheer-tater. It's putting two words together. This is taking one letter off the same word every single time. That's it. It's it's a nice idea, but it's lazy because they're only using one word. Yeah, exactly. If it's, if it did things like, say, National Elf Service or something like that, 
or use, you know, instead of saying health, saying elf, like it's not good for your elf or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just mix it up a bit. And he, I mean, Mrs. Claus does say elf portrait, but that doesn't make sense because Santa isn't making a statue of himself. It's not a self-portrait. Mm-hmm. It is actually an elf portrait. And the joke doesn't make sense as a pun. Because he's not an elf. Anyway, that's my first problem. What's your first problem? My first problem is, I mean, it's the big problem. It's the fact that, like, I mean, it takes us an hour to even start to get into the plot of the movie. Um, Like, John Lithgow doesn't show up until an hour in the movie. And it's, the first hour is, it's kind of the the Santa origin story. And I actually yeah. liked, I mean, I felt like the the montage of the elves working was too long. But other than mm. that, like, I really, I like the sets. Like, I like the workshop. I like the, you know, I like Santa and, and Mrs. Claus. They're lovely. I like all that stuff. But it was like, it kind of felt like someone wanted to make a movie about Santa, but then was like, oh, shit, I need a plot. Yeah, the movie actually changes plot, like, sort of halfway mm-hmm. through. It swerves. It's like from dusk till dawn. <laughs> it becomes a different movie. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like, yeah. I like the first hour of this movie. I, I do really too. do. I think it's really nice and it's sweet. And um, David Huddleston is a great Santa. Uh, I've changed my mind on him. I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, and I don't know. It's just in the set design. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> it's just all really good. And I like the the montage of showing you throughout the different centuries. Yeah. I like that. And then the 1980s goes and ruins everything, as it did for many, many people. The first hour is, is lovely and very enjoyable. And the tonal change is just, it's startling. And, but it's also like, how do you continue with the movie being like the first hour? Because you do need conflict, right? So, like, there has yeah. to be something there. Um, I also had a problem with just the fact that, like, when I looked uh, Mrs. Claus up, the actress was 45 at the time, and she seems very old to me, but she's only a few years older than me, and it made me feel bad. Yeah. But, yeah, we've talked about this before loads of times, though. It's like, people in yeah, the 80s always look... weird. I expected her to at least be in her 50s, and I was like, I, I'm too close yeah. to this. I don't... It doesn't make me feel good. Yeah, she was 45. Mm-hmm. When she filmed this movie. Well, she was 45 when it came out, so she was probably 44 when they made it. Right. Well, she's... Christ. I'm 47, so that's... She's only yeah. a couple of years younger than me. She looks older than me. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, my my third problem... I'll change it to my second problem because it goes along with yours. And it's this movie should be renamed Patch the Movie. And I'm going to read you my letterbox review of this movie from 10 years ago, Jen, that I found last night. In November 2013. Don't know why I watched it in November, but... Right. Despite the title, the film dumps its main character in favour of the exploits of Moore's elf character and a couple of kids. After his initial backstory in the film's first hour, Santa takes a backseat for uh, for the rest, and the film suffers for it. Not that Santa is... as uh, Not that Santa is portrayed here as a particularly interesting character, which I disagree with now. Um, but that the ones who replace him as the main focus are duller. I imagine when you've got someone like Dudley Moore, who was a huge star at the time, you're going to give Dudley Moore some 
screen time, right? Although I was surprised that he had a lot less to do at the beginning. Like, it took a while before he really had very much to do. Yeah, that's and that's when it changes. That's when it changes tone and focus. It just goes straight on to. It, it forces this really strange conflict, this non-existent conflict between Patch and Santa, where Patch is complaining about Santa, but Santa isn't. Santa isn't being the way that Patch is portraying him being. Because mm-hmm. he's he's complaining that Santa is like not listening to him and he hates him and blah blah blah. But Santa's done nothing but be nice to Patch. I mean, and and even when he was sacking Patch, he wasn't chucking him out or anything. He was just sacking him because he fucked up. Um, Santa was felt Santa felt really shitty about doing it. Yeah. But they had to force this conflict in there to make Patch leave, and it's just. It just doesn't work. And like you say, second build John Lithgow doesn't appear until an hour in, which is over halfway through the movie. Yeah. So, you know, maybe put him in a bit earlier. Put him in as a child, maybe, that Santa meets. You know, put that seed in there that Santa never gave him anything because he was bad, or show, you know, show him uh-huh. as a child being bad. And then that line later on will at least make, well, it does make sense, but it at least gives it more weight if we actually saw it happen. Yeah. Because even, um, he feed, Patch feeds a reindeer. He even uh, says he comes up with the colour red for Santa's suit. He's like there throughout the entire first part of the movie making his elf jokes, <clears throat> puns that aren't fucking funny. And then he becomes the main focus of the movie and it just it's jarring and I just don't like it. So that was my second problem. What is your next problem? John Lithgow's performance is way too over the top for me. Like, I know it's a movie that's, you know, aimed at, probably aimed at kids, but um, it was just, it was too much for me. I, I, I wasn't a fan. Yeah, I don't really like over the top John Lithgow. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. It really is. And that it also goes towards this really, that the, the tonal change that we were talking about. Because mm-hmm. there is not a character like that in the entire first hour of the movie, and all of a sudden he's coming in and shouting, screaming, and being over the top, and and he dies at the end. Let's just put that out there. Um, and Santa Claus the movie, this movie uh, for kids about Santa, the 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 main bad guy who only appears like forty forty minutes from the end dies. So. There we go. Uh, well, we assume he dies, but he goes right into space. So yeah, yeah, he's dead. In a, in a 2019 interview, John Lithgow said, "It's just one of the tackiest movies I've ever been in." Yeah, that's pretty strong words. Um, and then apparently, yeah. when he watched it, when he and Dudley Moore watched it together for the first time, Moore called it a career ender. Mm. So they were not fans. Well, uh, I don't know. I- but it, it made me wonder if John Lithgow, like, if he was over the top because that was the direction, or if he just didn't like what he was doing. Like, that he didn't like the movie. Um, and just didn't give a fuck. Probably the direction. But, yeah, he probably didn't give a fuck, to be fair. It sounds like he didn't give a fuck. He was just getting paid. Yeah. But Dudley Moore's career did sort of take a dive after this, I think. I think he did a couple other things, like comedies and stuff, but nothing really, nothing really stands out. If, if I recall correctly. He did Arthur 2 on the rocks. I think it was 88 or 89. 
Uh-huh. And that film bombed because it was garbage. But yeah, John Lithgow did all right. John Lithgow did fine, but um, yeah, Kevin I'm... Huddleston became the big Lebowski. So, well, I'm looking at a uh, Dudley Moore's filmography, and it's like, yeah, there's like Father Like Son, which we need to do at some point. Um, Arthur yeah. Two, Crazy People, a bunch of stuff I've never heard of, and then I remember he had a sitcom. That I actually wanted to watch. It was in 1994. It was called Daddy's Girl. I wanted to watch it because Carrie Russell was on it. And I loved her on the Mickey Mouse Club. But it was on at the same time as something else I wanted to watch. And so I never saw it. But I remember that was the first, like, I don't know if I'd seen Dudley Moore in anything before that. And I wanted to watch his his sitcom that only lasted a year. Well, my third problem is, uh, good thing there's only one homeless kid in all of New York City. In fact, in all of the world. Yeah, I thought about that too. As much as I like Santa in this, this time round, it's the weird way that this movie does time, where you have one Christmas Eve where he takes Joe around in the sleigh and then hooks him up with Cornelia. And then it's like two scenes later, he meets him again. And it's like, well, this is a year later. Because it's the next Christmas Eve. So Santa just leaves this fucking homeless kid to fend for himself for an entire year. And just hopes that he's alive by the time he comes back in a year's time. Yeah. Uh, that he hasn't died of something in the streets. Or, and, it, and that kid's been wearing the exact same clothes for an entire year as well. And Cornelia's hair hasn't changed in a year. It's always that orange bob she's got. It's like it doesn't grow. She probably just always gets a cut like that. But yeah, they yeah. I understand like the kids are going to look the same because the, the filming is over, you know, just a few yeah. months. But you can make changes to the appearance to make them look older or younger or whatever. At least make it try and look like it has been a year Mm-mm. instead of it's just the next scene. <laughs> um, I mean, when the kid who plays Joe... The second time he meets Santa, he takes his hat off. And he doesn't do that the first time he meets Santa. The second time he meets Santa, he takes his hat off. And he does look a bit older without the hat. Mm-hmm. It's just, he just looks different because he's no longer wearing a hat. You see his hair. And maybe that was on purpose to do that. It's like, well, he looks older without the hat. Maybe yeah. he'll you know, take the hat off, but I doubt it. Yeah, it's just the whole sort of homeless kid trope. It just seems as though that he is the only one, or the only one that Santa wants to help. And it's a bit sort of odd to me. So what's your third problem? So when they reveal that um, John Lithgow is Cornelia's, what was it, step-uncle? Step-uncle, yeah. Um, Which, like, I don't even, do they even tell us what her deal is? Like, where are her parents? What happened? What's going on? Her parents died. Okay, but why is she just like living with a nanny? And does he live there? I'm I'm confused. I didn't know until later on when his friend, his co, his who is it, Towser, I think his name was. Yeah. Um, he shows up to the door, and he's there, and it's the same house that um that Cornelia's in. So I think he stays there. But when he first shows up, it's like it's. Like, it's a big deal that he's there. Like, I thought he was just visiting. I don't know. Anyway, so the first time we see him, the way that they introduce him, you know, he's, like, in the chair and turns around, and it's it seems Mm -hmm. like it's supposed to be, like, this big reveal. Mm -hmm. But 
you could hear his like yeah distinct voice so when he tells her to come in there's no shock about who it's going to no. be it's Absolutely. I don't understand what they were trying to do there with surprising us because it was not a surprise at all. Yeah, I'm surprised it didn't play. Dun, 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 yeah. I'm turning around in the chair. He does have a very distinctive voice and you can tell right away when he says Commander, it is him. It's very strange. Um, uh, he shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have, they shouldn't have said come in. Yeah. Just because the door was open. She knocked the door or she just walks in and she just said uncle and they turned around. Mm-hmm. And that's your surprise. Not that it should be a surprise, because who cares? It doesn't well, really do much. Also, it's, I mean, I, I understand, like, to a little kid, maybe it'd be a surprise. I don't know. But, like, as soon as she yeah. said, your step-uncle's here, I'm like, oh, it's going to be John Lithgow. Yeah. Like, the, it just I assumed that's who it was going to be. So it wasn't, when when they did that reveal, I was like, what are, what are they doing? I don't understand why this is supposed to be a surprise to me. Yeah, and step-uncle? It's so weird, right? Yeah. This movie's weird. Yeah. <laughs> this movie was uh, has been re-released in 4K in cinemas in the UK, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this, just this year, just like right about now, it has been re-released. I wish that we could have, like, so... We went back in time and then given them a quote for the poster. This movie is weird. Jen. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the problem, podcast? Well, it's like, like the thing that was just really weird to me is, okay, so you have this homeless kid and then it's like, it's kind of like they want to make Cornelia the rich homeless kid. Yeah. Like that she doesn't have parents. She doesn't, she has like a nanny and like a step uncle that may or may not live there full time. Um, But she's like all alone. So then it's cool for, you know, Santa and Mrs. Claus to adopt her for one year. It makes no sense. Uh, and I guess not inform the nanny. Yeah, exactly. Like, this thing is, they're like, can we stay for a year? And it's it would be so much better if it was just like, they're just going to live yeah, there now. Yeah, why a year? Right? But, like, he's, what is he going to kick Joe out on the street in a I year? It's weird. This movie's weird. Jen. So what's the problem, podcast? Mm-hmm. I understand Joe staying there because they, they couldn't have children of their own and they've always wanted huh? a child. And I do understand Joe being there, but for Cornelia to be there as well is just really weird because she has someone looking after her. She still has the nanny to look after her. Yeah. She seems very lonely, though. True. If it's her parents' house, then she's got a house. But if it was John Lefko's house, then, you know, maybe that's going to get taken away because of his crimes. Mm-hmm. But yeah. The ending's weird as well. It's just the whole thing is just doesn't make sense. But it's things that I never thought about when I saw this as a kid. So maybe it is just uh-huh. kids are stupid. They'll fall for this shit. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. They didn't count on us, Jen. Like 30 years down the line <laughs> talking about this movie. 40 years down the line nearly. Fucking hell. Yeah. Well, what's what's funny to me is, like, sometimes I wonder, like, I know that the way that we talk about movies and TV has changed because we're all on the internet and people are actually, like, it's looking for, I mean, we're obviously looking for problems because that's the whole point of the podcast. Yeah. But, like, people do look for holes in plots and stuff like that. Um, and it's also, we live in a world where you can watch these things over and over again, whereas back in the day, it's like, you'd have to catch it. In a theater, or maybe you'd catch it on TV. 
um, when it was on. And I'm just wondering how much things have changed as far as how we think about movies. Like in 1985, were people having the same thoughts or did people just accept things more than they do now? Like, I'm really curious if people yeah. had the same kind of conversations we do or if it was just like people just accepted bullshit more. I think people just accepted bullshit more because we do have the Internet and we have YouTube and we have all these videos. It's like ending explained and 10 things you miss uh-huh. and blah, blah, blah and all that fucking bullshit. All these videos that you get nowadays has fueled our conversations yeah. So I think because we didn't have that back then, uh, we wouldn't have talked about it back then. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like because we we have access to all these different videos, or even I mean, like online articles now for uh, online sites that do it all the time now. And um, uh, I I watched uh, Santa Claus the movie for the first time as an adult, and here's what I thought and find out and blah blah blah. Uh, those kind of things. Because we didn't have that back then, I don't think the conversation would have been there. Yeah. I don't know if that is... If we're living in the better timeline or if we're living in the worst timeline. I mean, I think the thing that's great about the way that people talk about movies online and stuff um, is that I think that overall it has improved the quality of our entertainment because writers know... Mm-hmm that we're going to pick shit apart. So back in the day, you would have plot holes where it's like, they probably thought, well, no one's going to think yeah. about that. And now they're like, people will notice. So we need to be more careful. Cause like we've watched a lot of movies that have ridiculous plot holes and stuff. And they're not, movies aren't usually made that way today. Right. Like they want, well, especially like, you know, I've heard, I've, I've heard a lot of right TV writers talk about how like, in the writer's room, they have to talk about this kind of stuff. They have to talk about, like, well, what are the fans going to say right, yeah. about this one thing, this one problem with, you know, this. And so I think it has improved things, but it yeah. also has, we've become very cynical. And, I mean, look at us. We're actually two pretty positive people when mm-hmm. it comes to movies. But we have a podcast where we're trying to find problems with them. Like, it's it's pretty cynical. It is, but it's also just about fun. I mean, it's... Um... Yeah, we're just yeah. we're just doing it just to talk to each other, basically about a movie that we watched that one of us inflicted on the other one. <laughs> no, I mean I understand that my complaining about those kind of YouTube videos, and now I have a podcast that's picking apart problems and um and movies. But I mean, a lot of the movies we cover are pretty shit. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me though is how many bad movies we watched where even though they weren't very good it was hard for me to find problems and that like there are movies that we watch that are really good where it's really easy to find problems. Sometimes you watch a movie and it's just not for you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there were huge problems. It's just maybe it was boring or something, but there's, there's a difference between a movie as a whole being boring and then finding individual problems throughout yeah. well i mean there's more there is more things in this movie that we could have picked apart like product placement yeah there's an entire scene where joe is looking through the window of a mcdonald's and we see people eating mcdonald's products oh my god and the thing is when i was watching it it was around lunchtime yeah and i was like so the product placement worked because i was so close to going to mcdonald's and getting some food like it looked really good and i wanted it it definitely worked because i had just eaten 
and I was hungry watching that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I didn't. Ha- I didn't need to see. I don't like watching people eat. I didn't need to see it too close. Like just have it like from afar. It's fine. Yeah. But uh, but also Coca Cola mm-hmm. because when Cornelia puts the coke down outside for Joe and then she goes back into her house, she faces the word coke towards the camera, so you can actually see what it is. Yeah. Um. So product placement. We could talk about that. We could talk about Towser being gay and how that is maybe a bad thing or how he might be gay and how that's a bad thing because he knows what puce is. (laughs) And (laughs) uh, when he says puce and he describes what puce is, uh, John Lithgow's character says, well, you would know. And then later on he says, uh, I'm starting to wonder, sometimes I wonder about you. And it's like, why? Just fucking leave him alone. (laughs) If he's gay, he's gay. Um, he gets arrested anyway, so fuck him. <laughs> There's another thing. Like, see when all the kids are floating about, everyone's floating about, and you see, like, two two kids walking along, but then it turns out that one of them is floating in air. That girl is clearly much fucking older than that boy. Yeah. She, she is a teenager, and he is clearly just, like, fucking seven years old. <laughs> that is weird. And I get, I understand the joke. They didn't have to be holding hands. That just makes it creepy. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of weird. Also, what was the point of the, um, what was the point of the super duper looper? <laughs> because they made it a big deal of Santa and the, the um, reindeers not being able to do, go on a, like a barrel roll or whatever, go around in a circle. But it doesn't do anything. Because all they had to do was just go under the fucking car and catch them when they fall. They didn't have to go up and go round in a circle and go under the car. And then those six reindeer can just go back and say to the other two reindeer, ha we did it without you. <laughs> because those two reindeer had to stay at home. They probably feel like shit because they didn't get to do it. And they didn't need all eight fucking reindeer to do the super duper looper. So what was the point in trying in the first place? Man, you're really upset about it. That should have been your problem. Yeah, zero stars. <laughs> right, so so my positive, and I'm talking about the reindeer, because I think the reindeer animatronic Ah! Animatronics. Tronics. Those things. <laughs> <laughs> animatronics. I think they're really good. They are. They are. Uh, there were a few times where I wasn't even sure if they were using real or animatronic. They did use real ones occasionally. Yeah, yeah, and there were just some shots where I was like, I can't tell the difference. I mean, this movie had a budget, and it bombed, but it had a budget, and you can tell in some of the like the shots and the uh, uh, the animatronics are really good. So, mm. what's your uh, positive? Just the whole world of Santa in the movie, like the sets, the like. I I don't know. I liked the lore. I. I love the fact that Santa Claus, before he became Santa Claus, was a dude who just, like, liked to make toys for children because he was a mm-hmm. nice guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I, just the whole first hour, there was a lot I liked. It it did go on a little too long. Um, yeah. And like I said, I think the elf montage was too long, but it was nice. It was, I mean, the whole time I'm like, what is this movie about? Like, where's the plot? But mm-hmm. it, it was nice to watch. It was fun to watch, I thought. Mm-hmm. They could have, and I just they, sorry. No, I just wish the rest of the movie could have matched the tone. Yeah, see, they could have done a lot more with this. They could have still had Patch to be like the conflict, but did it in a different way. 
shorten it half an hour, make it an hour and a half long. It didn't have to be as long as it was. Yeah. Still have some conflicts regarding Patch, like maybe being jealous or something and just being a tosser and then at the end he saves the day. The standard sort of Raskin Bass kind of storyline kind of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, make him like Rudolph Rednose Reindeer, um, where he saves the day and then everyone loves him. Uh, I don't have many notes left because I said a lot of them, but right at the very beginning, when Claus has been really nice and giving people presents and stuff, he gives a little girl this sort of miniature thing that he made. And that little girl really didn't give a shit about that clay thing that he made. <laughs> she had no expression on her face. It was kind of slightly disappointed. <laughs> but I think she wanted a Barbie doll. <laughs> but, you know, she got this clay man instead. Yeah, the toys that they make for the kids in, in the 1980s are too old-fashioned. Yeah. They're just too, like, wooden toys and, like, wooden bikes. and It's the 80s. It's almost one of my problems that it's, like... I mean, a better conflict for the whole movie would be how did the elves start making these toys that are different from what they've been doing for hundreds yeah, of years? Yeah, because things changing. Yeah, because I remember being little and wondering, like, because the image that was always in books and movies and stuff about elves was exactly mm. this. It was them making these, like, wooden toys and stuff. Yep. And I would be like, but what about a Nintendo? Like... You know, making like video game consoles or anything. Yeah, how did they compete with the Atari Twenty Six Hundred or the Walkman? Yeah, yeah, and seen that scene where the little boy who, for some fucking reason, is walking down the road with his cart, and then the cart comes apart, and then it gets run over by a school bus. That school bus just misses that child by about that much <laughs> because he's still standing in the road, and the bus just goes right past him and just misses him. That was a bit silly. But that bus must have been imported over from America because they shot this in the UK. So we don't have yellow school buses. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. So they either imported it or maybe they built one or um, painted one. But it didn't. Lo- it looked like a school bus, uh, an American school bus. It didn't look like one of uh-huh. ours. Yeah, when Patch is looking in the shop window, he's watching the TV in the shop window. No, in fact, he's not. He's looking at the... The people taking the toys out and BZ's uh, stand is, uh, is standing there. I am. I think it's a homeless man. I don't know. I think he's a hobo, as they would call him back in those days. Um, when he vanishes in front of that man, the van from the A-team can be seen in the background. It's just sitting there behind this homeless man. That's weird. Yeah, the noises in the car, Patchy's car at the end, are actually from... Uh, the Atari 2600 port of Pac-Man. Um, and those noises can also be heard in Superman 3. Oh, really? Yeah. Both movies are produced by the same people. <laughs> so they just use the same sound effects. Yeah. I want to talk about the music. Henry Mancini did the score for this. And obviously he he's famous for like the theme to the Pink Panther and stuff like that, right? He's mm-hmm. uh, very prolific Um composer back in the day and he also co-wrote six new songs for this i don't remember any of them (laughs) the only song i remember is uh it's christmas all over the world which is sung during the movie and in the end credits and it's sung by sheena easton who's scottish yay but that (laughs) song was actually written for the movie but in the same year um, new edition also did a version you know uh bobby brown's band new edition 
Yeah. They did a version of that song for their Christmas EP. Yeah. Uh, all over Christmas all over the world in the same year. I I, I like the Sheena Easton version because I don't know why that's I think that was almost my almost my positive because it's the one thing I remember from the entire movie. And I couldn't find it online forever. But now it's on Spotify, so it's on the playlist. Uh, the song was actually written for Freddie Mercury. I did read that. I did read that. Um, I thought that was interesting. Um, but he didn't want Queen to be the movie band because they had already agreed to do Highlander, which was released in 86. And they did Flash, and um, they didn't want to just be known as the band who would do soundtracks. So they, he turned it down. Well, he, he recorded a demo for it, but... I'd love to hear that. <laughs> I'd love <laughs> to hear that demo. Uh, so, yeah. Santa Claus the movie. Mm. And next time, it's Jen's pick. And she's picked another Christmas movie to inflict on me. And what is it, Jen? Christmas Story. Christmas Story from 1983. Yeah. This will be interesting because I've seen it once. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, and I'm not sure I've seen it more than once. I've seen parts of it more than once, but that's it. Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> So we're just going into that right away. It's a spoiler. I don't get it. It's an American movie and I don't get it. But maybe I will this time round. Yeah. So, yeah, that's next week. Not next week, two weeks. Uh, so, yeah, that's all we have time for. If you'd like to follow the podcast, shiftybench.co.uk. Contact at shiftybench.co.uk is a website making people follow you online, Jen. Um, once again, I'm Pilot Inspectors on Twitter. Still on Twitter. Thank you all for listening, and we'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye.